0: Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. I'm joined today by Liam Bailey, Global Head of Research, Residential Research Partner Kate Everett Allen, and Associate Partner Flora Harley. In our fourth episode, we'll be taking you beyond the UK to look at residential markets across the globe. We'll look at the direction of travel for prime prices and explore which cities are likely to be hit the hardest by coronavirus. We'll also talk about some of the longer term prime residential trends that might arise out of the pandemic. So Kate, just looking at the key predictions in Knight Frank's global residential 2020 forecast, what are the highlights?
1: So I guess the first thing to say is that our forecasts relate to the prime segment. So we're talking the top 5% in value terms and broadly speaking, We say that that has a strong, generally speaking, a a strong international bias. And our forecast relates to 20 cities covering all world regions. And what we've done is we've tapped into our network of research teams globally and asked them to consider a number of factors. So that's everything from the state of their housing market prior to the crisis, but also the scale of the COVID outbreak in their city, as well as government support measures and stimulus packages that have been put in place to support both households and businesses. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the forecast from our network reveals that we expect 16 of the 20 cities to see a decline in prime prices in 2020. But of these, we expect only about five to see a prime price decline by more than 5%. So yes, prime price falls are anticipated this year, but not the double-digit annual declines that we saw in 2008 and 2009 in the wake of the financial crisis.
0: And which cities do you expect to perform slightly better than others? I think at the start of the year, it looked like Paris and Berlin were going to be doing quite well. How do you think European cities will be doing based on what we know now?
1: I think those that we expect to emerge relatively well, and I wouldn't say unscathed because I think every market will be impacted. Perhaps those will display greater resilience is a good way of putting it, will include Shanghai and Vienna, both markets that have already come out of lockdown but also Lisbon, where we've seen limited supply in recent years, prime supply that is, and also Monaco, where there is continued strong demand. Those cities that we expect to see the largest declines largely fall into one of two camps. They're either emerging economies, emerging markets, or cities that were already seeing prime prices decline at the end of 2019. So that cities. Such as Buenos Aires, Mumbai, Hong Kong, but also Vancouver, where we 've seen weaker pricing for probably two to three years now as a result of taxes, I think there 's probably two points really to note firstly, prime market won 't perform in the same way as the wider mainstream market, given the two have very different market drivers and secondly, I think we need to be careful not to assume that all prime markets in a single country will necessarily recover in a uniform way, so London will recover different to Birmingham in the same way that Berlin, for example, will recover at a different pace to Frankfurt.
0: You highlighted Lisbon there. Is there any particular reasons why you expect Lisbon to fare slightly better than other cities?
1: So Lisbon was named in 2019 by PwC as the best European city for investment and development It's also got a number of sort of initiatives which make it appealing for international buyers. So it's got something called the non-habitual residence tax, which has been slightly tweaked this year, but still is a key draw. And also it's got its well-publicized golden visa that has seen quite a number of purchases from China, from South Africa as well, and from Turkey. But perhaps overall, its big pull is its relative value compared to other prime markets in Europe.
0: And what about next year? What's your forecast for 2021?
1: So in 2021, we expect the trend that we're seeing, we expect to see in 2020 to be reversed. So we expect about 14 cities to see price growth with Lisbon and London out in front, both recording price growth above 5%, we estimate, We've touched on Lisbon already, but in terms of London, we've seen negative price growth over the last few years. It's obviously had a lot to contend with. We've had Brexit, three general elections, as well as tax changes. So I think the political certainty that we got from last December's general election provided a boost. And that was translated into sort of stronger sales activity that we saw in January and February of this year. Plus prices in some parts of the city are down by as much as 25% over the last five years. So we expect there to be a sort of pent up demand building and new buyer registration figures that our team are observing at the moment would reinforce that.
0: So, Lynn, where do you think the next hotspots will be? Do you think rural will be a lot more desirable than city centres going forward?
2: I think it's a very reasonable question. And I think lots of people are speculating about this at the moment. I think the obvious thing to think is actually, you know, what does the pandemic mean? And it means that people are valuing open space, they're valuing seclusion, the ability to kind of be away from other people and apart from other people. So I think it wouldn't surprise me, and uh, and we can probably see a little bit of evidence already from web searches through the Knight Frank website, that people will be favouring country properties and rural properties over urban ones. I just think we need to be careful before we assume too much change because, and it's, a, it's an example I've used a couple of times recently, but I think it's an important one that, you know, when when we had 9-11, the initial assumption was that this was kind of game over for, you know, the clustering of businesses and people in big urban centres. You know, why would anyone want to build a tower in a city again? And the assumption was actually this would be, you know, cities would begin to kind of suburbanise and people would move out of CBDs and so on and actually the complete reverse happened you know the 10 years after 911 was probably the biggest shift towards urbanism and towards tower creation you know we've seen in in, in a century and actually you know th- it was a period when you know more people wanted to cluster in cities so actually i just think we need to be careful and, t- and not always assume that actually you know the immediate assumption about a uh, shock like this is going to be the one that kind of wins out. But I, I do accept that in the, in the short term, there probably will be a shift towards more interest in that kind of property type and location.
0: What about just on particular cities and why they might do better than others? I mean, clearly Kate has gone over a few of the cities like Lisbon, for instance, which is likely to do a bit better out of this. What are your thoughts on what the key factors are here for cities that will do better?
2: I think the same criteria will apply in the future as have done in the past. Issues like oversupply or undersupply of, of housing will impact demand and will impact on price performance, on investment performance, accessibility and investment in infrastructure. All those things will count towards the desirability of, of locations. Will the pandemic itself have an impact? I was in a webinar this morning, actually, and the question was posed as, you know, will Berlin win out against london because there's an assumption that germany has managed the uh, the covid crisis much better than the uk you know i can see some logic in that i think again you know to take a step back and just sort of look to the longer term i don't think it'll be easy to see cities winning just on the basis of their of their pandemic response because i think we're all learning i think all cities are learning all city governments and, and national governments are learning how to deal with this unusual situation mistakes have been made in lots of locations, you know, lessons are rapidly being learned. I mean, hopefully it'll never happen. But if, you know, if again we're facing a similar situation, hopefully large urban centres will be better prepared in the future. I think it's less about the pandemic. I think it's probably more to do with the additional issues around affordability, demand, supply, and those issues which will dictate the performance of cities. And if I can point to one location, That I think will perform well in the long run, and I'd point to London. People listening to this might think, well, you would say that, Liam, wouldn't you? But I do for a very, for a couple of big reasons. One is the fact that London has repriced more than any other city globally over the past five years. Also, London, despite the uncertainty of Brexit and all the things that were sort of thrown at the London economy over the past three or four years, you know, has seen growth in its GDP, its employment in terms of business creation over that period. So, Yes, there is a a significant challenge right now to the city's economy and the outlook for the city, as is with all major centres. But actually, you know, coming into the crisis, London was incredibly well positioned and I think it will come out very well.
0: When you talk about London, Lee, and do you think there could be, I suppose, particular parts of London that are likely to do better? I mean, perhaps new boroughs with more green space, for instance, in terms of where people are likely to look and where high net worth individuals are likely to focus on?
2: If we look at the data that we're seeing at the moment, so web searches through the Knight Frank website, I mentioned earlier that you know we've seen a slight uptick in people looking at country properties and rural properties. And I think there's, it's fair to say that locations in London with gardens, with greenery and with space are benefiting from that same trend. The only sort of counter to it is that we're also seeing quite a strong interest in very central locations and very urban locations in the central boroughs you know on the one hand you've got people who are thinking about how do they give themselves more space and more seclusion and on the other hand you've got those people thinking actually i'd, I'd rather just be very very central so i don't need to travel i don't need to commute actually i can walk or cycle to my place of work or to schools for the kids and so on You know, you may see a kind of dichotomy between those two views over the next few months
0: what about second homes? Do you think that there will be a subsurgent sort of in interest in, in, I suppose, both having that central location but also looking elsewhere for a second property?
2: I think the real challenge for second homes at the moment is transportation. If we take the assumption that a second property is generally located you know, some distance from a first property, I think there is a question mark over, will people be buying second homes that are reliant on air travel as much as they have in the past? And I think until we see some clarity on what does post-pandemic air travel look like? I think that would be a difficult one to second-guess. Whether in Europe you might see or might expect to see you know, more locations in demand which are accessible by, say, rail or road, rather than just locations which have benefited from the expansion of air travel in recent years, that could play out. You might see a slightly more domestic market in some European locations. So certainly the south of France might need to rely slightly more on French or other demand from continental Europe and less less so on, on, on UK demand. But again, I think a lot of these things come down to how does the lifting of the lockdown play out over the next few months? And at the moment, it's just it's difficult to kind of second guess how policy will evolve.
0: Let's take a look at the economy now. Flora, clearly the scale of global economic uncertainty is unprecedented. What do you think property investors should be looking out for over the coming months?
3: I think there's a few different indicators that investors should be watching. The first is potentially unemployment and employment, as that can give a better prospect for recovery if governments can manage to limit this with their unprecedented support. There are some daunting numbers out there. The US has hit a high unemployment of almost 15%, the highest level since the Second World War. But if they can create some jobs through the opening up of the economy, then this will help to boost the prospects for recovery. The second thing the investors need to watch is government actions and reactions and how they look to contain second waves if there are any, but also how they look to kickstart the economy in terms of housing policy and attracting investors into their countries. For example, over the last few years, we've seen some overseas buyer stamp duties and restrictions in many different markets from Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, and some may look to lift this to encourage investment back into their countries to help boost economic activity. We've also seen some examples of this over the last few years in Italy and in Greece with their flat tax to try and bring ultra high net worths back into their country. So we may see some more of this and that'll be something to watch. The final thing I think people need to be looking out for is advances in science. And it may not be something that can be eliminated with a vaccine And rather than a post-COVID world. It'll be how we navigate a world with COVID and how does that change society and populations and how people react.
0: What about government state support? We've seen obviously the UK extend its furlough scheme, but across the world, how important do you think that would be for the recovery of prime residential markets?
3: Well, I think it'll be huge for just economies across the world. If they, as I said, if they can support employment and limit unemployment throughout this, the prospects for recovery, recovery and a quick recovery are much better as consumer spending is a huge part of the economy and GDP is something like 60% in many different economies. So as long as they can support consumer spending, they should be able to boost economic activity, which is good news for prime residential properties and markets.
0: What do you think will be important just for the recovery of prime residential markets around the world? Are there any particular factors to watch out for there?
3: I think there's a couple of things that will be important for the recovery of prime residential markets, uh, such as the maintenance of low interest rates. We're at historic lows in many different markets, and it's likely to remain this way as the mounting level of government debt happens across the world. And the other key thing is going to be travel restrictions and quarantines, as prime markets can often have a large international bias. We reported in the 2019 Wells Report that ultra-high net worths own on average three to four homes globally. So they are hugely international and global. So being able to access homes and look and purchase new homes will be key. So travel restrictions are something that will be really important.
0: Kate, sales volumes have fallen across the world for prime residential property. When do you think those might be likely to recover?
1: So we asked that question, we sought an answer in in our forecast survey, knowing that sales volumes are inevitably going to take a bigger hit than prices in the coming months. I think probably the key point to make is that all our markets will have seen a drop in prime sales in Q2 this year. That's the reality, given the inability to physically view homes and transact. Think about Europe, most of the notaries have been closed over the recent weeks. Although that is starting to change, we're starting to see them get back up and running this week in places like France and Italy. So we asked our teams as part of the forecast survey which quarter they thought sales volumes would recover. And the result was that 75% felt it would occur in either Q3 or Q4 of this year. But that is obviously rising from a very low base. Interestingly, there was one market, which was Shanghai, which cited that sales were already picking up. And our survey was undertaken at the start of April. So in Q2, they were already starting to see the market gain some traction. Having engaged when our teams felt that sales would start to recover, we then asked them how long it would take to get back to pre-COVID levels And their response was perhaps slightly less optimistic. So 35% of the cities that we surveyed think that even this time next year, sales volumes won't be as high as they were in Q4 2019. That said, we've been monitoring markets across Asia, which were obviously the first to be hit. And there is evidence of a fairly quick rebound in, in China. We get data from Capital Economics, which looks at the daily sales rates. And they dropped nationally to just 22 sales at the peak of the crisis, which is around the 8th of February. But by the end of March, they were at nearly 6,000. So a relatively quick recovery. But you have to remember that not all China was in lockdown. I think in my view, in terms of the prime markets, it will be the domestic buyers that return first. I think the seasonal peaks and troughs that we're used to seeing won't occur in 2020. So, for example, the August lull that we see in Europe, particularly in southern European economies, will disappear as markets try to get back on their feet. And I think in London, the sort of spring bounce that we normally see will probably be pushed to late summer or autumn.
0: What about buying habits, Kate? Do you think there might be an increase in a desire for sort of second homes with more green space and that kind of thing? Are you hearing anything like that from your contacts?
1: We're kind of seeing two trends. So we're seeing those, I think a lot depends on the rules during lockdown. So if you look to places like Spain and Portugal, um, there are quite strict rules about not moving to second homes, and that was policed quite rigorously. Whereas in places like the US, high net worth could quite easily move to their second properties. So I think the rules in different markets will influence purchase behaviour after lockdown. So you might see, for example, in the US, second homes with more outdoor space prioritised, whereas in Spain and Portugal, it might be primary residences with more garden space, etc., that will be given greater priority. I think the lockdown has probably been a bit of a hiatus for many high net worth individuals who are used to travelling widely and regularly. So this will be time for them to sort of reflect on their lifestyle, where they want to be, where they, they want their families to be, should we see future outbreaks or another pandemic occur in future. A lot of them will have sampled working from home for the first time for an extended period and perhaps reassess just how productive they can be. Maybe look at the idea of a sort of two to three day week. So I think trends will be impacted. You know, we might see, for example, people working in Geneva, happy to live in the Swiss Alps, in the mountain air, etc. Or you might see those in Paris opting to live in Provence and just, as I say, commute sort of two to three days a week. The evidence that we're getting from our agents anecdotally, but also from our our website, is that buyers are being quite pragmatic and using this time to do their due diligence, whether that's researching locations or prices, downloading floor plans or looking at Google Maps to work out what their view is from a particular property. It seems that a lot of them are sort of doing a lot of data gathering so that they're they're ready to make a move post lockdown. One of the other trends we're noticing is interest in markets that can be reached by either road or rail. So taking air travel out of the equation. So, for example, Dutch and Belgian buyers looking in Provence. And we're also seeing just recently a lot of German interest in Northern Italy as well, in places like Lucca as well. Coming back to your question about whether we're going to see an uptick in demand for rural markets, I think we will, but I think we're also seeing that for those Second homeowners who increasingly, one of the key themes that we've noticed over the last decade is their desire to want to gain some rental income from their property. They're being told by their advisors that you know, having a, a ski chalet in the Val d'Azare or a villa in Marbella is all well and good, but it has to actually be washing its face, for want of a better word. It's got to be generating some form of income. It just can't be sat there empty. And I think increasingly they will look to cities because that's where there is that domestic demand that will underpin the rental market and so that will ensure a more secure income and reduce void periods. So cities like Berlin, Paris, Madrid, Lisbon, I think they may well come to the fore. One other trend that I think we'll notice is we've talked a lot about education and how that is a driver of property demand and we've written a number of reports on that in recent years. I think we're going to see a slight switch. So, rather than it just education will still be a key driver. But I think increasingly, second homeowners are going to look more closely at where they can access good healthcare. We've seen a small amount of evidence of this in the past. We've seen Middle Eastern buyers look to places like Austria and Switzerland, for example. But I think healthcare is really going to come to the fore now in the next couple of years.
0: Do you think that will be beneficial for the UK, perhaps? Which other countries do you think could benefit from the healthcare trend?
1: I think it will be largely Western economies, inevitably, European markets, the UK, yes, potentially also the US, and Germany, Northern European economies as well.
0: So, Liam, Kate mentioned better access
1: to healthcare becoming as important as
0: education. Do you agree with that? And what other trends do you think will arise out of the pandemic?
2: I think healthcare has become more important actually over over recent years, and I think lots of investors or you know buyers who are looking to locate themselves in different parts of the world you know, have had a, an eye on local healthcare provision. I'm I'm aware at the moment of you know individuals who are based in the Caribbean, for example, have actively moved themselves away from some of the islands there because they don't want to be in a location which has got limited healthcare provision, you know, low numbers of say ventilators, etc just in case something goes wrong, they'd rather have an easier access to someone like Miami or one of the world's biggest cities. So I think it's already playing out and already having an impact on people's thinking about where they locate themselves. Just going back to that question about education, and I know that Kate's touched on this, but I think education is a really interesting question. And I don't think we have the answers at the moment. But if we think about the growth of education as a driver for residential investment and purchases in the UK, but also in Australia, the US and, and other markets globally, it's been a significant driver. And the question, I think, is, you know, what does the, the Chinese market, because let's be honest, it's, it's largely driven by Chinese demand. You know, what does the Chinese market do or how does it respond to the pandemic once lockdowns are lifted? It may be that you see some Chinese parents thinking actually more locally about education provision. It may be a benefit for maybe somewhere like Singapore, which could come to the fore as as a destination of choice. It might be actually in some cases, particularly for school-aged children, where you see families relocating permanently into London or into Sydney or or into New York or other locations. It could play in many different ways, actually, how that education story plays out. And I think there's probably a, another issue that we might want to explore in a, in a future program around the impact on student housing provision and whether there may well be opportunities in the near term to, to repurpose some student accommodation for wider market use. And whether that needs a review of planning, regulation, just to loosen some of the, the restrictions, that's, I think that's an interesting topic that, that may well develop.
0: Flora, what about you? What, what are your thoughts on the sort of longer term trends that may arise out of this, looking at how economies may shift over the next few months and years?
3: I think this comes down to something that we muted in this year's Wealth Report, and that's the idea of deglobalization or regionalization. We were already seeing that trend happen over the last few years, and I think this may just propel that trend a little bit faster as economies and companies and countries look to shift supply chains closer to home as we've seen massive disruption through all the lockdowns at various different stages in different countries. So we may see that shift again, and property may be one way that people can keep Their global exposure throughout this. If you enjoyed this
0: episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, ACAST, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information.